should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Michelle Miao Show. This is Jax filling in for Michelle on this beautiful Wednesday, July 29th. Today we are going to play past episodes from Michelle's monthly television program that airs on KOFY TV here in San Francisco. To watch any past episodes you may have missed, or for those of you outside the Bay Area, you can head to michellemiao.com. Now let's roll the tape. Coming up on Swirl, celebrity grand marshal and CEO and president of the Golden State Warriors, Rick Welch. I don't know that any of us really could have foreseen the change in our society over the last many years. Liam Makelum takes us on a tour with the Rainbow Walk of Honor. We're really going to walk through history, down Castro Street. All that right now, here on Swirl. Welcome, happy Pride. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Tonight on Swirl, it's a special Pride show. We'll sit down with celebrity Grand Marshal Rick Welts, who is the president and CEO of the Golden State Warriors, the NBA champs. We're so excited about this interview. We've been talking about it for so long, and it's so incredible that we have an NBA champ with us. And he's also a part of our community. We'll also head out to the Castro and do a special tour with our good friend Liam Maklem, the foodie chap guy. <laughs> he calls himself the foodie chap, a local celebrity here. He'll also be the main stage headliner during Pride, and we'll do the special Rainbow Walk tour. So let's head to Rick Welts first and our special interview. Rick, wow, uh, just a week ago, you know, millions and millions of people, people from around the world know you as the president of a championship team, the Golden State Warriors. And now this weekend, millions will know you as the San Francisco Pride Celebrity Grand Marshal. How does that make you feel? Well, it's been an unbelievable stretch of time, obviously. Uh, everything the Warriors have gone through this season, really a magical season that ended in a championship. Uh, and now to, to top it off a week later with the opportunity to participate in the Pride Parade in San Francisco, it's, uh, it's a pretty wonderful time. Yeah, no, we're excited to have you. It means so much. I mean, when you think about the, you know, something with 40 or 40s, San Francisco Pride is celebrating 45 years of Pride this year. Golden State Warriors, you know, waited 40 years and then have now achieved their championship, uh, uh, being a championship team this year. and. You were in the NBA for over 40 years before you came out. I almost feel like winning the championship and then being the celebrity grand marshal 
is like a second coming out. Wow. Does, that, uh, does, it, does it feel that way at all? You know, it's been a journey, right? We're all on our own personal journeys. And uh, the last four years has been a remarkable part of my life. But it, it's definitely a part of my life. Uh, you know, the decisions I made four years ago to come out in the way that I did, obviously, you know, I had decided I was signing up for something going forward and being part of the discussion. Uh, and, you know, I welcome that. And this is, uh, you know, for me a real honor to, to be participating in this way. And I guess in, in some ways it, it will be a demonstration of how far professional sports has come in, in a very short period of time. Uh, not as far as our society has come. So I think we have a lot to celebrate. Well, let's go back to that coming out article in 2011. It was in the New York Times. Uh, you said that you, you needed to do it, you wanted to do it in order to pierce the silence regarding, you know, homophobia, regarding gay athletes in the NBA. In looking back, it's been a few years now, um, and we're anticipating this huge decision by the Supreme Court in this country. Do you feel like you've pierced the silence? Well, I think a lot of things have happened that have contributed to that. Uh, you know, my decision came at a time that uh, I think we'll look back at just the beginning of that in professional sports. Uh, lots transpired since. We've seen, you know, Robbie Rogers uh, from the MLS come out. We've seen Jason Collins as an active player come out in the NBA. And, and I think it, all of these things have contributed to a discussion and, and created, you know, the purpose of creating that discussion is really to, to make people feel comfortable in discussing something that historically immense professional sports we've had a really hard time discussing. And, you know, I, I think that discussion is in full bloom right now, and I think it's led to some amazing achievements, hopefully a lot more to come. That conversation, I feel like, also should be led by the right kind of leader. Uh, honestly, as an LGBTQ or queer person myself, it really really wasn't until President Obama came out and said that he was, you know, evolving in his feelings toward the LGBTQI community. I really feel like, you know, as a leader in the NBA, there, there really is n not very many people that I know in the NBA, uh, like yourself, who know the NBA inside and out. You've worked for the teams, you've worked for the association itself. You could be that leader, the leader of change for the NBA. Does that make you feel uncomfortable or is it, do you believe in that? Well, you, you know, it's part of what I signed up for, yeah. I think. I could have gone about this in a lot of different ways. Actually, when I made my own personal decision that I wanted to bring this part of my life into my career, I uh, went to New York and sat down with a really good friend of mine who runs a big New York public relations firm and said, look, Dan, you know, I, I'm going to do this. I can do this privately with friends, family, coworkers, and accomplish what I want to accomplish, but I need somebody who's more objective than I am to say if I did it in a different, more public way, could there be more good that came from that? And he just looked across the table at me that night and said, you know, Rick, if you're prepared to do this, I want to help, number one. But second, I think it's, you know, page A1 New York Times. And that was kind of my, that was kind of my holy cow moment. Uh, yeah. A lot of great things happened immediately after that. Uh, Dan introduced me to a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter for the New York Times who took a lot of time and great care in talking with me and how to orchestrate that story. And because I do what I do and I think because I am who I am, 
you know, my, my role, I like to have be very much behind the scenes. Uh, you know, in our industry, if the focus is on the players and the coaches and what's going on in the court, we're doing a good job. If it's on the guys in suits, we're probably, probably doing something wrong. So it's not in my nature to be out front, to be, to be a public face of this. But there was an opportunity here to, uh, to do that, and it's one that, that after a lot of thought and a lot of discussion, I decided to take. We'll continue our conversation with Rick Welts after the break. Don't go away. Swirl is brought to you by Kaiser Permanente. Come join us and thrive. The Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center is right by your side. Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And Fiat, featuring the all-new Fiat 500X crossover. Welcome back to our Pride Special here on Swirl. We'll continue with the second part of our interview with Celebrity Grand Marshal Rick Welts. There will be queer kids who are tuning into the program or who will see you on the parade routes during San Francisco Pride. They'll look at you and he'll say, wow, that's who I want to be when I grow up. Well, that's a great that's a great statement you know I my favorite uh, thing that happened to me that day that that New York Times story came out was I called my niece who I think was 12 or 13 at the time and she was like Uncle Rick I was like so excited to go to school today and tell everybody that yeah that guy that guy was my is my uncle and I was like the coolest kid in school that day and thinking back to when I was 13 I'm not sure that reaction would have uh, been the same in my school and I think it tells you uh, what a generational shift we see in attitudes uh, and how young people view, uh, you know, our, what's going on in our world just completely differently than, than what my upbringing might have led me to believe. I want to follow up on that on the young kids who might be looking up to you uh, as they might be, you know, gay themselves and, and the coming out process and being successful. What would you say to those kids today who, who might be afraid to be themselves? Well, I think it's a very, very personal journey. I would not counsel anybody to do it in any way other than their own way. Uh, for me, it was the right thing for me at the right time. Uh, I, th I think the most important thing in your life is to find something that you're passionate about and that you care about that can be your w life's work. And if you can find that, it really doesn't matter what it is that you're doing, you're likely to be very, very successful. If it's just a job, uh, you're likely not to have as much fun, not to enjoy it as much, and not to be as invested in your success as you might be if you were following something that was truly a passion. My passion happened to be sports. You know, I loved everything about it. Obviously, I was captivated by our game, basketball, by the athletes that are in the game, and by just the sheer athletic ability that they displayed. But there was more to it for me, too. I loved putting all the pieces together of putting on a game. I loved the performance aspect of it. I loved the way it brought people who had absolutely nothing in common together to cheer for a common cause, something that, that could connect them. And that's what sports really does do. Sports connects people that otherwise would not have a personal connection. It serves a purpose in our society, I think, uh, that very few things do today when we're spending most of our time, you know, typing with our thumbs on our devices. Yeah. So I promised the San Francisco Pride Board and the organization itself that I would come back with some juicy tidbits of <laughs> Rick Welts. Um, we know you as the great you know, leader in the NBA and, and suited up, uh, but we'd love to, we'd love to tell you know, our, the LGBTQ community something fun about you. So what's like a cool fact that maybe 
people don't know, or I, even even your teammates, even your players don't no, know. I don't think I have any secrets. I don't think I'm that mysterious. You know, I've got a uh, pretty simple life. I like pretty simple things. Uh, you know, I've I've got a great partner. His name's Todd Gage. Uh, he has two wonderful children: a 14-year-old girl and a 10-year-old boy. I I uh, got off the parade route, got into a car with them. We drove to Lake Tahoe, and I got to watch 14-year-old girls play four soccer games over the course of the weekend and then drive back to the Bay Area. So that's my idea of an exciting weekend, you know, spending it with the kids and my partner and getting to do, you know, the most basic things that any family would get to do. That is so awesome. Last question for you, uh, you know, San Francisco Pride again, we'll see over a million people come to the city to celebrate the LGBTQ community. You know, how exciting is it for you in kind of looking back at your career over the 40 some year span and also this parallel that we're having with LGBTQ rights and anticipating that Supreme Court decision regarding marriage equality. I think we're living in an extraordinary time. I don't know that any of us really could have foreseen the change in our society over the last many years. I certainly didn't see it coming. Uh, certainly not at the pace uh, that acceptance has come and I think it uh, you know, it, it speaks volumes to the brave men and women who have actually been out front and, and, and fought the fight and, you know, had only one goal in mind that's just to treat everybody as a person and to, to treat everybody the same. Hey, Rick, I'm so excited to have you as our celebrity grand marshal, and I know many people in the Bay Area feel that way, and we can't contain our excitement also for the Golden State Warriors bringing that championship home for us. Um, and your voice means so much to us by accepting this grand marshal recognition, so thank you. That's my honor, thank you. Thank you so much, Rick Welts, CEO, president of a championship team, the Golden State Warriors, and also our celebrity grand marshal. I think I've said enough compliments during the interview, so I don't need to say any more. Don't go away, when we come back, we'll do a special tour with Liam Maklem in the Castro. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us during this very special Pride episode of Swirl. So every year during Pride, you can't help it. You want to go down to the Castro. You want to hang out. You want to grab a drink at your favorite bar. And you also want to do some shopping at some of the coolest places. Well, I have a good friend, Liam Maklem, who knows the city very well. He knows where to eat, what to buy, but also he knows where all the historical and great places are to visit if you're visiting here in San Francisco celebrating Pride. So let's go find Liam Maklem in the Castro. Hey, Liam. Oh, good morning. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, hi, Michelle. Darling. How's it going? Mwah. Mwah. Happy you, Pride. You caught me holding a tutu. I, 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 I'm just wondering if this works. What do you think? It, it looks like uh, it's yeah. a perfect fit. Happy Pride, sweetheart. <laughs> Happy Great to Pride. see you. So you're already, you're already festive. You're already getting ready. Well, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I was actually picking this out for you. And I'm just, I'm just going to put it out there. I think, <laughs> yeah, Michelle, it's yours. It looks yeah. right. So you're excited for Pride? What? I am. You know, Pride for me, it's, it's the biggest celebration in the city. Uh, for our neighborhood, for the Castro and the LGBT community, uh, there is no bigger party than Pride. And it's been part of my life as long as I've lived here for 20 years. Uh, I get to MC on the main stage and have done for five years. I've been in the parade, I've covered the parade, uh, I've watched the parade, 
Uh, it's just so much fun. It's the coming together of us all, celebrating who we are, celebrating our diversity, and just being proud. Well, let's get started with our Pride celebration. I know that you asked me to meet you here in the Castros. You've got a special tour you want to take us on. I want to take you on a tour. We're really going to walk uh, through history down Castro Street, and we're going to begin with one of my literary heroes. But we've got to leave the store to get this going. Let's do it. Walk this way. No, not this way, that way. I can't walk straight. So Michelle, along Castro Street, the rainbow on a walk. At last, the people who brought us here, the, those who came before us and paved the way for us are being celebrated. Uh, and the first I want to show is this guy here, Oscar Wilde, uh, a fellow Irishman because beneath the English accent is an Irishman, the great writer, uh, pictures of Dorian Gray, the importance of being earnest. He was imprisoned uh, for being gay. Uh, such a short young life and such an amazing man, a witty, brilliant writer. And isn't it wild that in 2015, Ireland is one of the uh, few countries to pass, actually the first country yep. to pass marriage equality by popular vote. Yep. What would Oscar Wilde think of that? I think he's probably sitting uh, upstairs, looking down, smiling. He'd be happy on this day. Next stop, here we go. Another gay writer, Allen Ginsberg, an amazing man. He, of course, sat alongside the beat poets, Neil Cassidy, Kerouac, through his writing uh, in the 60s. Uh, he was leading the charge, and he shocked a lot of people. Howl, his great work, uh, was read first at City Lights here in San Francisco. Awesome. Yeah. The guy had a great beard. This is so cool, right? It's an actual rainbow crosswalk. Should we be skipping or something? Over the rainbow. Wait, that's not how it goes. Don't go away. We'll be back with more of the Rainbow Walk of Honor with Liam Maclem. Swirl is brought to you by Kaiser Permanente. Come join us and thrive. The Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center is right by your side. Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And Fiat, featuring the all-new Fiat 500X crossover. Welcome back. Let's get back to our tour with Liam Maclem in the Castro while we do the Rainbow Walk of Honor. Uh, another icon, Harry Hay. He's oh, a guy who had a full life. A Brit, born in England. That's right. Uh, died at 19 in 2002. Uh, and he was the founder of Radical Fairies. And the Manageen Society, yeah. which is one of the very first well-known or organized uh, organizations for LGBTQ rights. I actually got to meet him in 1995, interviewed him. As you stroll along Castle Street, you'll see some history too. There's Harvey looking down on us, his hard camera store where it all began for him, right here on Castle Street. Next up, Christine Jorgensen, American entertainer, uh, highly publicized gender change in the 1950s. Not easy now, even today, but imagine going through that in the 50s. These plaques are dedicated to memorializing those who have made a significant contribution to our community, sure. but you know they also are not with us today. Yeah, that's right. So we honor them, we celebrate them. 
another major event, Frameline, the 39th yeah. LGBT Film Festival. That's uh, right. Always a lot of fun, so many great movies, another great learning opportunity for folks to come and see movies from all over the world. All over the world. My favorite this year for Frameline was a true love story, mm -hmm. uh, a documentary called Alex and Ali and it really tells the story of the injustice that LGBTQI people face outside of even the United States in countries yeah. like Iran. So Michelle, on the current Rainbow Walk, the Rainbow Honor Walk, there are 20 LGBT figures honored, and there are going to be more. Oh, there are plans to unveil more, so this is an ongoing project. Michelle, this has been such a, a cool little walk date with you. It has, and I think it was so perfect that we did this during Pride. Uh, even though you live in San Francisco, or it's just right here in our backyard, we can do this any day. I think every time we do it, it's so emotional and so great. It is emotional, and I, I learn new things every time I take this walk. And every time I walk past, one of those plaques, I want to go home and learn a little bit more about the person I'm being reminded about. So I always say to people, even those who live here in town, visit the Castro, do the rainbow on a walk, uh, and then wrap it up here with a visit to the museum. That's uh, right. The no, GLBT Historical Society is right here yeah. uh, in the Castro, and they have their own exhibits inside, so there's even more history and knowledge to obtain. It is where queer history lives. It says so right there. Happy Pride, darling. Happy Pride. Give me a hug. Love you. Thanks so much, Liam Maklem. He's our foodie chap guy. He's also our Castro tour guide now. <laughs> Make sure you check out the Rainbow Walk of Honor. It's right there in the Castro, especially if you're here during Pride. It means so much to us to commemorate those in our community who've contributed so much. Don't go away when we come back. Final last thoughts. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us for this Pride episode here on Swirl. San Francisco Pride is celebrating its 45th anniversary this year. The theme this year is equality without exception. And that means no one is left behind, but it also touches on these discriminatory bills or these laws that pop up all around the country. We have marriage equality because the Supreme Court has ruled that the Equal Protection Clause in the United States Constitution extends out to LGBTQI persons here in this country. So we shouldn't have bills that say you can get married, but dot, dot, dot. So the work is not done. We need to continue it even after Pride. I want to give thanks to Celebrity Grand Marshal Rick Welts for giving us inspiration and uh, for bringing that championship home to the Bay Area. How about the Golden State Warriors? And also to Liam Maklem, our good friend who joins us every year to give us a good time during Pride. Happy Pride, everyone. Stay safe, celebrate well, and we'll see you soon. You're listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier episode of The Michelle Miao Show. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. 
This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Michelle Meow Show. This is Jax filling in for Michelle on this beautiful Wednesday, July 29th. Today we are going to play past episodes from Michelle's monthly television program that airs on KOFY TV here in San Francisco. To watch any past episodes you may have missed, or for those of you outside the Bay Area, you can head to michellemeow.com. Now let's roll the tape. Coming up on Swirl, the Benham Brothers, former HGTV television hosts who have made their Christian views public regarding the LGBTQ community. We would never compare the individuals to demons. Also, an interview with Mitch Main, a gay Mormon who's also an activist and spokesperson for gay Mormons within the church. The first words out of my mom's mouth to me were, it would have been better for me if you had been born dead than gay. All that right now, here on Swirl. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We have a great program for you. We'll touch on religious freedom and religious liberty. What does that mean? Both of our interviews will touch base on that. Before we get started though, let's talk. Let's talk about what people are saying out there regarding the LGBTQ community. First up, former Congressman Tom Daley. He said, we're now seeing what the gay agenda is all about. What they're trying to do is to undermine religious liberty so that they become an accepted sexual orientation. That's what's going on here, and we've got to fight this battle to the bitter end because once you let the government dictate to you what you believe and what your values are, then this country's finished. Whoa, doom! According to Tom Daly, the world has ended and the Christians must fight. It's like judgment day has come because the gays have rights. That makes no sense to me at all. 
Next absurd quote comes from Pat Robertson, uh, who's uh, the host or who's on the 700 Club. Oh, this one's great. <laughs> Sit down for this one. You tell me if anybody, if you show me one couple that conceived a child through anal, through anal intercourse, just show me one in all the world, and I will say, I agree with you, and you are right. Show me one. There are eight billion people, seven billion. Show me one time when a child was conceived by that kind of sexual activity. It is unnatural, I'm sorry. That's Pat Robertson on accepting LGBTQ people. So, hey gays, if we can conceive a child through anal sex, then we will be accepted by Pat Robertson. <laughs> According to uh, sex ed class, Pat, I do believe that you can conceive a child through anal sex. Doesn't sperm travel? Our next quote comes from Tom Perry, who's a member of the Faith Quorum of the Twelve. He said, we want our voice to be heard against all of the counterfeit and alternative lifestyles that try to replace the family organization that God himself established. And uh, Tom Perry is from the Mormon Church. Um, well, Tom, I mean, alternative lifestyles, we will get to this later on in the show, so I don't want to comment just yet. And our last quote comes from a presidential candidate. He's the U.S. Senator Rand Paul on uh, LGBTQ people and marriage equality. He calls gay marriage a moral crisis that allows people to think that there would be some other form of marriage and ends that with, well, it offends myself and a lot of people. Those are comments made by a presidential candidate. Can you believe it? Rand Paul. I mean, who's going to vote for this guy? Anyway, that wraps up our Let's Talk segment, and we're sharing quotes with you so that you don't get sucked into this media vacuum of people who say crazy, crazy things. Besides, anal sex is amazing. <laughs> don't go away. When we come back, we'll have our interview with the Benham Brothers, two Christian brothers whose public comments about the LGBTQ community got them fired from HGTV. Don't go away. Swirl is brought to you by Kaiser Permanente. Come join us and thrive. The Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center is right by your side. Wells Fargo, together we'll go far. And Fiat, featuring the all new Fiat 500X crossover. Welcome back. Today's program is interesting. It's special in that we're continuing the conversation about religious freedom and religious liberty. I did an interview a while back with the Benham Brothers, who are former HGTV television hosts. Their public comments regarding the LGBTQ community went public, and America did not have the best response to it. Here's the interview. Most people know you as the extremely charismatic, good-looking, CrossFit workout buddies, brothers, twin brothers, who hosted a show, Flip It Forward, which was supposed to air on HGTV before they pulled it for an anti-gay comment. What exactly was that comment? Well, we don't tell anybody we're anti-gay. We're not anti-gay. We're not anti-anything. We're pro-Jesus. We're pro-values. We're pro-boundaries, as the Bible speaks about them, specifically when it comes to sex within the confines of marriage and also when life begins. So we're pro-life and we're pro-marriage, which makes us anti-women, anti-gay, according to today's cultural police. So uh, the comments that Jason and I made, or me specifically, um, were in the context of a prayer service in 2012, and I talked about the sins of our nation were first the sins of the church. 
and that the church, we are the ones, Christians are the ones that have devalued marriage with divorce and pornography and adultery and all these other things. And I said, and as a result, we have all kinds of sexual promiscuity and perversion in the culture, including an agenda that's attached to homosexuality that is seeking to rob the nation. And so this is where I was talking about that in its context. If you pull those comments out of context, like several activist publications do, they say that we were leading an anti-gay rally. That is not the truth at all. It was crazy they even say that. And, and you know, the other interesting thing is Right Wing Watch didn't make any of those comments public. They were already public, and HGTV already knew all about those. So it was nothing new to them. I want to go back to a comment that you made about the cultural police and this, uh, the you know, the agenda. What exactly do you mean when you when you talk about, you know, these groups having an agenda? First of all, we don't call it a homosexual agenda. We talk about the agenda to silence because it's not, it's just homosexuality happens to be the lifestyle that this agenda has attached to. And now it's if you disagree with that lifestyle, which according to the Bible, that lifestyle, as well as, as, well as many other lifestyles that even Jason and I, have, you know, we're sinners too, just like anyone else, that, that we have to come underneath. Um, the, the standards of the scripture. But now today, unfortunately, that standard has been removed. So if you stand on that standard, you now become extremists or anti whatever it is that they say that, the, that that's the lifestyle that's accepted for the day. So we're just not going to buy that narrative. But we by no means will never, nor have we ever, been mean to an individual person, not one accusation. If we talk about the context of if you compare LGBTQ people or gay or lesbians to Satan or or demons, how that could be hurtful or how that could also, you know, be dangerous to this idea of civil liberties or freedoms here in this country, what do you think? We would never compare the individuals to demons. That see you've got to understand adultery, lying, cheating, stealing are all a byproduct of sin. And when you're walking in sin, you're under the influence of Satan and the demons. This is clearly biblical. This is not some new teaching. So it doesn't matter whether you're engaged in homosexuality or whether you're engaged in adultery. That's darkness. That's wrong. And Jesus comes, and he comes to give life. It says in the scripture that the devil comes to rob, kill, and to destroy. And he does that through our lifestyle choices that we make. And so we keep the message central on Christ. Anytime you silence one person's opinion, all intellectual and spiritual progress stops. We talk about God and Christianity as we have this uh, disagreement about sexual orientation and that word lifestyle. For me, being gay is, is not a choice. And so I wanted to ask you, when you said that you don't hate gays, what exactly do you guys mean by that? Well, when we say we don't hate gays, we don't hate people. Because every person is made in the image of God. That's right. You are, I am, this guy is. I probably hate him more than I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. But, but uh, God loves all people. He doesn't love all ideas. And here's one of the difficult things that we found. And this is why our heart breaks for, for folks that were raised in this humanistic type thinking is that the fourth point of the Humanist Manifesto talks about how humanists ardently reject the traditional view of the dualistic nature of man, which essentially is kind of a cute way of saying the idea and the individual is the same thing. So if I disagree with, with an idea that you have that manifests itself as a behavior, 
then I must disagree with you as a person. And I don't. I would I would have you and we invited the leader of Right Wing Watch, Human Rights Campaign, uh, Glad, all to our house for dinner. I had a homosexual couple at my house for dinner several months ago with my kids. We had a great time talking. And uh, yeah, I believe that God does have a better way for folks who are caught in sexual sin and don't think that it's actual sin, think it's an orientation. God has a better way. And uh, God loves you just like you are, but refuses to leave you that way. Okay, well, I will go to your house, and we're going to have dinner. I and, would love that. I mean, I'm dangerous, though, because I'm pretty charismatic, too. And your, I love it. Your, your wife and your kids will love me. I'm super funny, and we're going to have a conversation about Christianity and the LGBTQ community. Is and, that okay? I want all five of my kids to be there, please. Awesome. awesome. I would love that. Awesome. I love kids. So my last question to you, you know, marriage equality is here. And it will probably be here and recognized in 50 states. And so for Christians, I mean, it sounds like you do accept the LGBTQ community. You accept us that we are here and and you see us. We're visible. Um, you we're know, how, human beings. We're human beings. Of yeah. So we what what is the course of work for you next? I mean, will it be to continue to 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 be on the Pat Robertson show and talk about LGBTQ people, you know, without compassion, or what is it? What's next for you guys? We'll be we will be on any show that will take us. I don't care who it is. If Bill Maher wants us <laughs> on, we actually sent him a thank you letter for talking about us on his show. We'll go on any show. It doesn't matter to us as long as we we get a chance to speak the truth. Thank you, Benham Brothers, for joining us here on the program. Like I said in the interview, I don't think they've ever done gay media, but here on the show, we're your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. Don't go away. When we come back, Swirl is out in the streets asking you what your thoughts are regarding religious freedom bills. Welcome back. We're continuing our conversation about religious freedom, so Swirl is out in the streets asking you what your thoughts are on religious freedom bills. Pretty scary. That's 2015, and people have to worry about these kinds of laws controlling their lives. So it's 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 pretty frightening, actually. That's how I describe it. I think it's really unfortunate. I think everyone should feel free to live the life that they choose, and um, yeah. I think it's going to put some of our Republican presidential candidates in a very interesting position, since they are taking positions that now are clearly opposed by. Not only good-hearted people, but by businesses around the country. If I had a business, I guess there's part of me that would want that option. I don't know. I mean, I think you just sort of have to, as a business person, you have to put your business first. And if you think that you can exclude a certain part of their, your potential market and still be a successful business, then I guess that's sort of your choice. I don't know. It seems to me that any law that makes like a people or companies to refuse service like basic service to anyone they should just like look at it and see what's going on you know but as I say I don't really know the law but it's just like the bottom line doesn't make so much sense I think both sides are wrong you know who are you to tell me who I'm gonna serve you know and who am I to tell you that because you're a certain way that I won't serve you, you know? So, I mean, it, 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 it cuts both ways. I'm from the Midwest originally. I'm not surprised. It's very conservative, despite the gains we've made. 
and especially for gay people in the last few years. So I think it's a harbinger of the old guard just hanging on and hanging on, hoping to disrupt something that's going to happen, that's happening as this world continues. So not surprised, not disappointed. It's the Midwest. Thank you so much for your thoughts. If you have a question that we should ask next time we're out in the streets, head to michellemeow.com and let us know. Don't go away, coming up, our second interview is with Mitch Maine, a gay Mormon who's also an activist and spokesperson for gay Mormons. Swirl is brought to you by Kaiser Permanente. Come join us and thrive. The Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center is right by your side. Wells Fargo, together we'll go far. And Fiat, featuring the all new Fiat 500X crossover. Welcome back. Our next interview is with Mitch Main. He's an out gay Mormon man who's been fighting for LGBTQ inclusion within the Mormon church. We'll discuss with him his views regarding religious freedom and religious liberty. Let's get to the interview. Mitch, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. Yeah, so, you know, for many people who have heard your story out there in the public, in the media, I mean, a few years ago, you came out as a, a gay Mormon man here in the Bay Area serving an executive position for the Bay Ward. When did you come out? I came out when I was 16 years old, but there was never a time in my life where I, I thought that I was straight. I always knew that I was gay. The story that I tell inside the Mormon community, which helps people grasp the fact that it's not a choice for us, is first grade, you know, I'm, you know, what, six years old, and I run home as quickly as I can because at four o'clock, there were reruns of the original Star Trek series, and I had this huge crush on Captain Kirk. <laughs> and I didn't know anything except it was just me developing as a normal gay kid. And Captain Kirk just would have been the guy that I gave my first grade Valentine to. Knowing that for pretty much my entire life, at 16, I figured it was probably time to tell my mom and dad. Um, the night that I told them, I'm sitting on the fireplace across from my parents on the couch, um, and I told my parents I was gay. And the first words out of my mom's mouth to me were, it would have been better for me if you had been born dead than gay. Oh my. And that is a difficult thing in your 40s to retell. Um, it is really painful at 16 to try to overcome in Idaho, um, where I had virtually no resources for LGBT individuals, let alone resources for LGBT Mormons. Um, but what I've come to understand over time, Michelle, is those were not the words of a woman who hated her gay son. Those were the words of a Mormon mom who was terrified because she had such bad information about what it meant to be gay, and she had no idea how to parent me in a way that could nurture me and keep me safe. So fast forward to you being, you know, an out gay Mormon man serving an executive role, uh, you know, uh, for a local Mormon church here in San Francisco. What was the response of the Mormon community? There was an interesting spread of response, and 90% of it from the Mormon community was really supportive. Um, but when the announcement was made, um, I started getting like Facebook messages and the rumors started to get out there. And it's like, I remember one day I woke up and I had 650 Facebook messages. And I'm like, okay, so I'm gonna like put a website up and just like quell the conversation and just let it be over. And then the website went viral and things just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the responses that I was getting from Mormons, now keep in mind, 
by and large, we're talking about um, what we think of as really traditional Orthodox Mormons. So supportive. Most of them emailing me things that said, um, this is an answer to my prayers. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Um, so it spoke to something that was already occurring inside the Mormon faith, and that was this desire and this recognition that you know, what we've done and how we've responded to LGBT individuals both inside our faith and inside our communities just simply wasn't working anymore. I would have thought that you know, someone, uh, even a, a religious leader or someone in the Mormon church would have sent you an email you know, telling you to stop being out in the public as an out gay Mormon man. <clears throat> I, I don't know if you've gotten any of those types of responses? Well, I mean, of course there's, you know, there's a, there's a fringe element that is extremely fundamentalist and extremely rigid um, who views this as a bad thing. And that's not who I'm hearing from and that's not who's, who's really voicing um, their opinions here. As far as the leadership goes, um, I was given essentially a couple of guidelines to go by. Um, make sure that you know people know that you're not directly representing and speaking for the church and you're not a paid spokesperson. And the leadership was actually very supportive. Now that doesn't mean I haven't pushed boundaries and gotten in a little hot water here and there, but I figure if I'm not getting in a little hot water on occasion, I'm probably not doing it right. A lot of Christians look at uh, the LGBTQ community as if it's a choice for us. And in the Mormon church, right, there's that thing, I think you've mentioned it before, same-sex attractedness, or, you know, but also the church not accepting LGBTQ people for who they are. And so I wonder, you know, as someone who's a spokesperson, who's an activist for gay Mormons, how do you respond to a statement like that? Well, there's a couple of different things at work here. First is, um, you know, what's happening at um, the level of people who attend church every Sunday, your standard, average, everyday Mormons, um, who really are becoming very well informed, who recognize that it's not a choice, who want inclusiveness and even legislative equality for their LGBT friends and family members and Mormons and community as a whole. Then we have sort of, um, for lack of a better term, the old guard, the old way of thinking, um, and that represents your people who consider it same-sex attractedness rather than being LGBT. Those people are diminishing a little bit, but we also have to recognize that in Mormon, in the Mormon world, we have this hierarchy, right? And our prophets and our leadership are pretty much in that role until they die. Um, so to the people who think that um, it's being, you know, it's SSA as opposed to LGBT, I have a real challenge with that because when we blur LGBT into SSA, then we see increased um, depression, increased suicide attempts, the sort of thing that it, the really negative outcomes that happen because of, of that. So Utah being, I guess some people consider, you know, the very first state to be successful in finding a compromise between, you know, religious leaders and uh, the LGBTQ community. Is that the blueprint? Is that the footprint that people should be looking at when we're discussing religious freedom laws um, that are so popular today or that many people are talking about? Somebody had sent me an article and the headline was, you know, Mormons leading the way in LGBT equality <laughs> legislation. And <laughs> I scratched my head and I thought, you know, if somebody would have told me that I would be reading that as a, as a, a legitimate news source, right? I, I would have like completely been buffaloed. And yet here we are, I think it is a win from not only the legislative side, but also from the cultural side, because um, what that means now is these parents who have gay kids um, no longer um, or feel less compelled to throw their kid out or choose between their child and their church because now we have leadership standing up 
using the term LGBT, recognizing that, you know, we are individuals who are worthy of, you know, dignity, respect, and equal rights. So there's a lot of positives here, but I think there's also a lot of unanswered questions, and time will tell us whether or not this is the panacea that some think it is. Thank you, Mitch, for joining us here on the program and for sharing your story. When we come back, final thoughts on religious freedom and religious liberty. Don't go away. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us tonight for this special program on religious freedom. You know, of course, I always like to end the show with this quote. Hate is never the answer, love is. And from what I know from many friends who come from religious background, love is always the central, the central part of faith and belief. And if we could just start there and have compassion for one another, I'm hoping that these religious freedom bills will just evolve into protecting all Americans here in this country. Thanks again for joining us. If you would like to get a hold of us, head to michellemeow.com. We'll see you next month, the fourth Sunday at 9.30 in the evening. Coming up next on Swirl, a special Black Lives Matter show, an interview with co-founder of the Black Lives Matter movement, Alicia Garza. Being inconvenienced for three hours is nothing like a mother losing her child unnecessarily. A message from a spiritual leader in the Bay Area, Reverend Jacqueline Duhart. We go out and march and we have our signs that say Black Lives Matter. And we truly believe that. We truly believe that because it's true. All that right now on Swirl. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. We have a great program for you. We'll touch on the Black Lives Matter movement and feature two interviews with members of the LGBTQ community who are a part of the movement. Before we get started with that, we should talk. So let's talk. Let's talk about what people are saying out there in the news or the media world about LGBTQ people. First up, Former governor of Arkansas, Mike Huckabee. Yes, my favorite Republican, not. Anyway, Mike Huckabee, uh, he could be running for president. He made a comment on CNN last Sunday in which he said, some people really like classical music and ballet and opera. It's not my cup of tea. I would like to think that there is room in America for people who have different views without screaming, shouting, and wanting to shut their businesses down. What? How can you compare same-sex marriage to Jewish delis or bacon-wrapped shrimp or even classical music? Mike Huckabee obviously doesn't know what being an American is all about. He doesn't even know what equality is. Mike, don't run for president. Run around the block. Do something else. Go away. Our next quote comes from James David Manning. He's a pastor from New York, and you might remember him as the pastor who once said that Starbucks lattes were laced with semen of sodomites. <laughs> anyway, he was featured uh, on a uh, television show, The Young Turks, and when asked if he's ever been tempted with the gay lifestyle, this was his answer. Absolutely, no doubt about it. I spent three and a half years in prison. I have a message to all members of Atla Missionary Church. <sighs> ah, 
yes, tastes so nutty and so delicious, so full of flavor. I think I'm a little bit gayer now. I suggest all of you, all of you, have a little bit of Starbucks to start your day off. People are crazy these days. Anyway, our last quote before we start the show comes from Mary Cheney. Y'all remember her, Mary Cheney, the lesbian daughter of Dick Cheney? Well, she says uh, on her Facebook post that has now been removed, why is it socially acceptable as a form of entertainment for men to put on dresses, makeup, high heels, and act out every offensive stereotype of women, bitchy, catty, dumb, slutty, etc., but it is not socially acceptable as a form of entertainment for a white person to put on blackface and act out offensive stereotypes of African Americans. Mary Cheney, if you're watching tonight, head to michellemeow.com, read my blog post, because I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. It is not acceptable, and it's not the same as far as blackface goes and drag queens. Coming up after the break, an interview with Alicia Garza. She is the co-founder of Black Lives Matter. Don't go away. Swirl is brought to you by Kaiser Permanente. Come join us and thrive. The Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center is right by your side. And Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. Welcome back to the show. Tonight's interview is with Alicia Garza. She is the co-founder of the Black Lives Matter movement. She's just been nominated by San Francisco Pride as a Grand Marshal, and she's a part of the LGBTQ community. Black Lives Matter started before the BART meltdown that happened in December of 2014. Let's get to the interview with Alicia Garza. Alicia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. How did the Black Lives Matter movement begin? The movement started in 2013 after George Zimmerman was acquitted in the murder of Trayvon Martin. And for folks who remember, Trayvon Martin was a teenager, black teenager in Florida who was stalked and killed by an aspiring security officer named George Zimmerman. And when Zimmerman went on trial, many of us were watching and waiting to hear what kind of ways he would be held accountable. And when he wasn't held accountable, we saw our nation erupt in protests. For myself, when I learned the news that George Zimmerman had been acquitted, it felt like I had gotten punched in the gut. I was watching what other people were saying, and I was hearing people say things like, we knew he would never be held accountable when it comes to black lives. People are never held accountable for taking our lives, and why are people surprised? But that wasn't satisfying to me. And the other thing that I was hearing a lot of was, well, that's why we need to vote. And that's why we need better education. And that's why we need our children to pull our pants up. But all of those responses were really blaming black communities for our own conditions. And so in essence, what I wrote on Facebook was something to the degree of um, that there's nothing wrong with us as black people and that we don't deserve to be murdered with impunity and that I love us and I love my community and that our lives matter and that black lives matter. And it really was in 2014 that the movement began picking up steam, right? We should remember that what happened in Ferguson with Mike Brown was a very highly publicized case of a community who fought back. Um, but of course, we're no stranger to not only police violence, but movements that are fighting back against police terror and police violence. So we stand on the shoulders of movements before us, but certainly um, the brave resistance that happened in and is still happening in Ferguson 
really helped to make Black Lives Matter a kick table conversation and it spread like wildfire across the country because all eyes were on Ferguson at that moment. This is incredible progress. This is this is actual change. I mean, what do you think what do you think of people who don't understand the movement and who criticize the actions um, you know, such as you know, people holding up traffic or or vandalism or breaking storefront property and so on. What do you think of, you know, their their criticism? I have heard some some offhand comments from, you know, some folks who are commenting about being inconvenienced and feeling like these pro- protests are just about windows. And to that, you know, I have a number of different responses. So one um, is that, you know, nothing in this country has ever changed solely through legislation or policy. That what it took all the way from the Boston Tea Party moving forward through the civil rights movement was direct action and protest to help complement and get to the root of the problems that we were facing, but also to shape the boldest, most creative, most innovative policy possible that could really ensure the values that our country espouses. So that's one. So the same people who celebrate Martin Luther King should also be celebrating the movement that's happening right now. Um, Because Martin Luther King wasn't just about nonviolence. Right. Martin Luther King was a radical thinker and movement leader who called for an end to poverty, an end to war and militarization, and really an end to segregation. And uh, part of how he did that, right, with a whole team of people and with an entire movement alongside of him, was to stop business as usual. Had there been no bus boycotts, there would not be an end to segregation in our public services and public systems. Um, So to those who, you know, are upset about being inconvenienced and things like that, we certainly understand your feelings. And at the same time, uh, being inconvenienced for three hours is nothing like a mother losing her child unnecessarily to state violence. When I think about, and I have also been on the other side of protests, where I've been inconvenienced. And when I am in those situations, I think about Mike Brown's body laying in the street for four and a half hours bleeding just steps away from his mother's home. When I think about being inconvenienced, I think about the inconvenience that Oscar Grant's family feels and his nine-year-old daughter feels that she will never again be able to be with her father. Um, so so that's, that's one thing. The other thing that I think is really important to understand about this moment is that black people are fighting for our lives. And part of what that looks like is making sure that our communities have access to quality education. It means making sure that police in our communities are actually not acting as judge, jury, and executioner, but are doing their job to keep people safe and to keep all people safe. What that means is an end to poverty in our communities. There's so many things that are impacting the lives of all of us, but that are specifically impacting the lives of black people. And so, you know, Martin Luther King said, we can't have peace without justice. And so that's exactly what's happening right now. And I would encourage folks who um, are wondering what's happening to, to really get out there and meet some of the people who are really putting their lives on the line to ensure freedom and justice for all of us. One last question for you, and it may sound so intense, um, but what do you think will happen if people ignore the consequences of racial uh, injustice, of racial inequality? 
I mean, my answer to that, and it will sound so dramatic, but this is what I truly believe. I think we'll, I think we'll all die. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I think there couldn't be a better time to really address the deep and stark disparities that exist in our country. And if we don't do that, I think what we will see is, is our country devolving into chaos. And certainly that's not what we want. Right. We want to live in a country and live in a world um, where people can live with dignity and respect, where we are connected intricately and deeply with one another um, through the bonds of love for fellow human beings. Alicia, thank you so much for joining us here on Swirl. We appreciate you. We appreciate the work and the movement. Thanks for listening. You can catch The Michelle Miao Show Monday through Friday, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time on the Progressive Voices Network.